Radio TRO is in search of sponsors. Sponsors get a detailed product mention at the beginning of every episode in our catalog. You can submit your own advertisement or we can read one for you. Visit email.tro.bike and contact us directly to learn more. Hey folks, Maggie Dean here, just reaching out to tell you about a couple of great tours we have coming up. One is for the newbies and the other for the seasoned curve carvers. If you're new to motorcycle touring, check out the LMCT, Lake Michigan Circle Tour, which takes place from Sunday, July 14th to Saturday, July 20th. It's a beginner-friendly scenic bike tour around Lake Michigan with all the planning and organizing done for you. It's ideal for couples, three-wheel riders, and small groups. It offers a balanced mix of fun curves, beautiful scenery, and rest stops. If you've always wanted to go on a small group motorcycle tour but have yet to do so, this tour is for you. And for all you rabid twisty travelers, check out TRO's Wisco Disco Tour. Based in Wisconsin, this tour is perfect for experienced riders visiting as much of the Driftless area as possible over three days. Our well-vetted routes are pre-planned, so just take the time off and join us. It's a great opportunity to ride in an intimate setting away from the solo digital world. Tiro's Wisco Disco Tour launches Wednesday, August 7th, and concludes Sunday, August 11th. Again, that's two tours approaching. Visit tiro.bike, mouse over events, and select group tours to learn more. Hello, everybody. This is Travis Burleson. I'm Robin Dean. And this is the RidingObsession.com podcast. That's donate at tro dot email. So Robin, what's new with you this month? Well, let's see here. I just I just made notes this time instead of actually writing out what I was going to say. I just made notes. So there was everything in the IMS show. You know, I did a walkthrough. My favorite part was the product bazaar because I don't know. It's the little guy and the new ideas that don't get over promoted. That I I feel like you know, there's always something there. That I'm like, oh, this has to go big. We got to talk about this. And of course, it started out with like uh, the Appalachian Trails crooked riding maps and. Uh, the dragon roars and back of the dragon, you know, I ran into that first right off the gates. That's the first thing I saw. And then I saw, um, JNS jacks, which looked pretty promising. I'm going to check those out. Looks like, uh, a French motorcycle armor company came to town. Um, I hope that's how I say it is Furigan. Um, saw them and I'm open to talk to them more specifically Pharrell performance. They actually offer two person track training or speed training on sport bikes. And I don't know how they pull that off. I mean, how do you get the whole track to yourself? Gonna have to ask them about that. Got some new Tourmaster boots. Got a pamphlet for the National Motorcycle Museum, which has some really cool bikes in there. Or uh, let's see, almost done here. Got the K-Tech suspension. Uh, they do mostly Yamahas, it looks like. And then my favorite so far, this uh, Aeromotive. You ever heard of these guys? No. They, they wire everything back. They create like wiring harnesses. Oh, so it's like aftermarket wiring harnesses for your vintage whatever. Yeah, and they show an entangled wire spaghetti mesh and then just says broken connector, tangled wires, we can help. If you have a 1960s Ducati where they, the guy in Italy just made it all with red wire. Yeah, because it matches. <laughs> red matches the red frame that's got the red trellis and the red tank and the 
the reddity red red. But the, this one looks good. The Africa Tours 2017. Monkey. <laughs> we are going to be offering guided tours starting this year. In Africa. No. There will be a monkey, though. <laughs> leading the tour. I resemble that remark. But this guy's, it's an Africa tour, really great pamphlet, and it was just humbling. So I immediately swooped it up. I was like, I'm going to have to learn a thing or two from this guy. That's like all the stuff I got at the bazaar that I just could not ignore. As far as what's been going on at my house, yeah, let's see. The bandits ready? Dewinterized. Mr. Yamaha did my tires. Uh, I have to thank you, specifically Travis, for the tip on dielectric grease going onto the spark plugs because it fired right up, way better than it ever has, even mid-season, and warmed up problem-free after a, a full winterization. It just kicked right on. I think that there had to have been something going on with the connectors there. Took my first ride, about 117 miles up to Waterford and back. That map's on the site. You guys can check that out. Uh, I need to exercise. I need to work out like a personal exercise regiment because it was just painful. Once I got off the bike, I was old and sore, and I think I need to you know, just body weight exercise, period. And like Pilates or something? Probably not Pilates. But Pilates has like a, like a women's workout connotation, but it was invented by a Marine so he could work out without equipment. Yeah, when you first said it, I pictured myself on yoga mats doing hardcore exercise and then just like staring at butts. So, I mean, if you need motivation, it, <laughs> uh, the Hawk GT, I've I'm one step away from having the GPS speedometer installed. It just needs to be wired up, and uh, I got to figure out a couple more things for the mounting mechanism. Got to go to Arizona. I was surprised to find that there is no MSF dirt course anywhere near Phoenix, Arizona. And it seems to me somebody should capitalize on that because uh, I was ready dollars in hand to go learn how to ride in the dirt a little bit better. Uh, what about you, man? You, you don't have as many notes as me, but I'd love to hear what's going on. Yeah, well, I've been, you know, it's been unseasonably warm here in the Midwest. Yeah, 71. Mid-February in the Midwest. It was ridiculous. So went out, uh, did some riding. Um, Tuesday, I did some uh, work, been doing some work on the... Um, on the big one still got the tank finished. So I had stripped the tank and I'll do a, a write up on that, but uh, stripped the tank down the bare metal. Cause it was terrible and hazed and chipped and you know, that bikes had a rough life and uh, you know, kind of did a, a rental can job, but took my time with it and managed to buff it up to like a, a nice shine and then promptly screw it up with bad masking oh. and then kind of, and then kind of half fix it. But it's still way better than it was when I started. And then I also modified the uh, the tail rack. So it had a Honda line tail rack that bolted onto the rear grab rail, the handle. It was a cast piece of aluminum, but it forced my top case to sit really far back on the rack because of the way the, the rail leaned back. So it was a lot of leverage from the mounting points. I bought a new one of those, cut it off. I cut off the, um, the actual rail part, drilled it, tapped it, screwed in a cross member of just flat steel, and that let me move my top case in uh, inboard about three inches and and uh, reduce the put the the more of the center of mass over the mounting point on my top case. So excited about that! I just remembered that you had leverage issues with your bike in the past. I think when we were riding to Portland, you know the subframe that was on the um, yeah it was on the BMW, but yeah, yeah subframes and leverage you got to be conscious of yeah and then uh i lost uh i lost the bolt for the the tail rack on that on the bmw2 head rattled loose somewhere in oregon um and i've had i've had the bolts come loose but not fall out on the on the big one as well so um just one of those things 
What else? Kind of been helmet shopping, but can't decide if I want to spend the money on it. The uh, and then I just bought a set of the Arrow Stitch gloves, the uh, the competition ropers. Nice. What are they about? Uh, they're about sixty bucks. Link me. I want to see a picture of these. Yeah, they're uh, they're really nice. They're elk skin, and uh, they do like uh, real glove sizes. So it's not like medium, large, small, medium, large size. It's like you're you're an eight or an eight and a half or a nine or a nine and a half or a ten or a ten and a half. Um, so you measure your hand and you order it by half size. That's nice. There not a lot of places will do that. Yeah, and they're elk skin, and they you put them on, and it's just like oh, like it's so <laughs> they're so nice. They they're heavy, but they're comfortable. Which one is it again? Uh, the Aero Stitch Competition Roper. So they have three variations on their elk skin gloves. There's the the super basic one, which just has like a snap wrist closure. The competition has a little bit of knuckle padding and then has a, a Velcro wrist closure. And then there's there's one that has like a full gauntlet that comes halfway up your arm. That's cool. They look like almost sort of they have a construction gro- glove quality about them. Yeah, they're they're made in America by a company that makes gloves for cowboys and people out west in like montana and wyoming yeah that's cool we need more of that so those are that's really good I'm trying to think what else oh i found I, I it came in the mail today i found an fcr slide carb for the drz for 200 bucks on on fleabay okay now is that a carb slide that was designated for a different model uh nope it's so if you buy the dirt only version of the drz it comes with the slide carb okay instead of the cv carb um, which, but if you do even some cursory research on the DRZ, it's like, oh, if you can get an FCR slide carb, put it on there and you'll, you'll get more power and it'll just be better than the CV carb. Nice. And they're usually about 500 bucks. And I found a guy on eBay that was parking out a bike and it was 200 bucks. So I just snapped it up. Sweet. And so, and it looks like it's in pretty decent shape. I'll, I'll tear it apart and give it the once over. Cause even if I don't end up using it, I can probably sell it for 400 I can, it's, it's worth more than I paid for it. Gotcha. Nice. And if you do use it, you can just sell the old part and get some of your money back. Um, if I do use it, I'll keep the old one. And then when I sell the bike, I will swap it back because the carb is worth way more off the bike. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's one, it's one of those parts where you always keep the old one because yeah, like it won't add to the value of the bike when you sell it, but on its own, it's worth so much more. Sweet. Um, and then I managed to totally jack up the headlight on the big one today. That was well done, sir. Well yeah. done. Uh, digging with the windshield, so we'll see if I can get that fixed. I can't find my old parts, and but we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I did a little bit of riding today. Went out, uh, not motorcycle related, but I did join the Madison Home Brewers and Tasters Guild. Oh, here we go. Um, and then they did. Uh, they had a tour and drinking scheduled uh, last night at one of the local breweries. This sounds like the opposite of a workout. Uh, yeah. Well, I was doing pint curls. It was fine. Uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was awesome because the, uh, the brewmaster really, he's like, oh, here's a bunch of home brewers. So it wasn't like, here's how we make beer. First, we take <laughs> malt and we boil it. This is called the boil. Um, it was like, he was in depth talking about quality and assurance and mitigating oxygen in their production lines and different problems that he had with some float regulators and his brew kettles and uh, some screen filtering processes in his centrifuge and his bottling line and stuff. So it was, it was cool. And then he was like, yeah, so when we were trying to mess with the bottling line, we had a whole run go short. 
like all the bottles got short filled. How does that even happen? Um, so the, the, the there's a, a filter screen in the in the bottling mechanism that actually sits on the bottle, and they weren't working right. They were getting clogged up, or they were the wrong size, or something. So the bottles weren't getting f- filled as much as they should have been. But they were capped, right? Yeah, but they, they, the, run, the run was going. So he had a whole pallet of bottles, and he was like, we can't sell them. You guys, help yourself. Okay, that's one thing, but I hope that they even kept a couple of them, because if they go big at any point in time, then that's going to be like super collect- collectible, like the beer can connoisseur. No, I mean, it, they're just, it's, it's just a bad production run. It's like there, there's 11 ounces in the bottle instead of 12. <laughs> okay, now that's lame. I was thinking more like a third full. No, no, no. It's like they look pretty much, but he couldn't sell them, so he just just like up yourself. So people were carrying out like flats of. I mean, I, I I rode the bike there, so I could just took a six pack, but it was good. Yeah. Hey, thanks for the growler, by the way. You brought me that uh, chocolate stout that just rocked the house. Yeah, yeah. That's it for mo- for motorcycle stuff. I'm trying to think if there's any new gear, gloves. Thinking about helmets. <sighs> it's tough. There's one of the local shops has an Arai on clearance from last year. Mm-hmm. So it's only like $360. Okay. Well, let, just to put some food for thought here, who was making that crazy helmet where the management went haywire? Oh, the one with the heads-up display? Yes. Who was making that? Uh, some company that doesn't exist anymore, and they got sued into the ground. Um, Vizio or some something weird oh, like the, that. You're talking about Vizio? The Vizio. Now, vi- I'm not sure. Th- Vizio is like a... was a company where yeah, the people I remember. were like partying way too hard. Yeah, and they they were like a Kickstarter thing, and then they never actually developed the thing. I think somebody picked them up. I think somebody bought the rights to everything they had developed so far, and they might have continued on. I'm I'm gonna look into that. I'll look in. We'll talk about it next time. But from what I remember, I saw somebody had said like, "Okay, idiots, we'll buy you out of you know basically we'll buy you out of bankruptcy and get you out of jail and <laughs> like, and, and and keep all your technology." Right. Goodbye. Thank yeah. you. Craigslist. Craigslist. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> now, well, it's, it's funny. So I've been I've been really hunting for helmets and trying to find. A, so my big problem is the, the Nolan I have right now. I liked. I went to the store. I wore it around the store for about half an hour. It seemed fine. But then I bought it, and after about two hours, it really hurts my left ear. Really. Right. Um. And then I've kind of figured out that for whatever reason, there's an asymmetry. My left ear doesn't fit in a lot of helmets. For those of you who don't know this already, Travis Burleson is a, an exceptionally, just a generally ugly human being, an, an overall freak of nature physically, and I, that's why we only do a podcast, because of the, the heinous, visual, disgusting, just disgusting look. Yeah, but, uh, I have a face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to do that to you people. Um, but uh, yeah, and actually what, uh, what did, I tried on some shoeys, showies, and I didn't really, they didn't really fit nice. Yeah, despite you know being a, a, a top level brand, um, but there's uh, the mid level HJC actually seems to fit pretty good. The FG seventeen. Yeah, if you find your brand. Yeah. So and then the uh, I do kind of want to get an Arfa an Arfa ten or an Arfa eleven Pro, but it's that it's the wrong. It's a sport bike helmet. Like it's made to be tucked in with like the aerodynamics of it. So it's not really for me. But that thing weighs nothing. It's like 3.2 pounds. It's ridiculously light. <laughs> That's one thing I noticed when we were at the show is how I forgot how lightweight non-modular helmets are. I love the functionality of the modular helmet, but all of that gearing and mechanism, it does add to the body of it, and it's 
pretty difficult. I mean, you put on a full standard helmet, it just felt featherweight to me. Just even the big bulky one was lighter than my modular. Yeah, I want to get away from modular and I want to get away from the the integrated sunshield. Oh, okay. Because that adds weight and you can't get a snail rating with integrated sunshield because you separate the... uh, the shell from the EPS that put the inside sunshield, which is why Arai has that weird outside sunshield. Oh, that's what, okay. That they, makes sense. They, they did that so they can keep their snow rating on all their helmets. Now, Arai tends to work better for an ovular, say, say it with me, ovular head. They're better for ovular. Yeah, it's not, it, and, and but that's the thing is like the, the thing with, for me, isn't that I need a weird crown shape. It's, it's the way that your cup is shaped. Might be set back too far, that kind of thing, too. Yeah, which actually, what seems to actually work really well is adventure or, or dirt bike helmets because they, they have a really big ear cup in them. Um, but I just don't want all that. They're, they're, they're super noisy. I don't want all that venting in the front. Well, in your case, there's also plastic surgery. Mm, yeah, it could just have an ear reduction. <laughs> <laughs> I think we got off topic there somehow. I don't, yeah. But helmets. Oh, I did look at scorpion helmets as well, which seemed to fit good, but. None of them come with pin locks, and it's they're tricky to get pin locks for. Pin locks are kind of important. Those things work great. Yeah, they're they're scorpions all about their proprietary fog free coating. Oh, great! But I want a pin lock because pin locks are mechanical, and they just will always work. Fog free coatings wear off. You know, that's how I ended up with uh, Cena using Cena products was because I tried out the what is it U Clear, mm-hmm. and I wanted to have earbuds, and instead of using a standard ear jack, they went with this USB plug, and it was a sixty dollar set of earbuds, sixty bucks for bad earbuds. Uh, was was Apple making it? I <laughs> pretty right, and no, they they weren't they weren't even they weren't even at the quality of you don't want what you want, you want what we tell you to want. It wasn't even that good. But anyway. So let's take a look at some of the updated features and developments on the website at theridingofsession.com. So I'll turn that over to our webmaster and editor-in-chief, Mr. Robin Dean. Thank you. Sit down. Everybody calm down. All right. uh, Let's see. Podcasts are now interactive on the website. Comments are enabled. It used to be that we had one podcast page and it would only show the most recent podcast. And any other podcasts you wanted to listen to, you'd have to use a podcast browser that would list them out for you. Uh, that's now done and done away with. You can actually see an individual page for each and every podcast on the site that has all kinds of uh, features and links to stuff we discuss. There was another bug, of course, with, there's always a bug, with weather preferences and the maintenance tasks. That's been remedied. Updating weather preferences would blank them out due to a conflicting form value. Uh, everything worked with maintenance, except you couldn't actually add a maintenance task such as changing oil or cleaning spark plugs, et cetera. That's now fixed and remedy. Our Instagram account is now live. It's a nice vent, nice place to put the funny photos and all kinds of funny videos. So I'm probably going to send the uh, login to everybody. And pretty filters. Pretty filters, hipster, hipsterizers. Look, 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 I took this $600, you know, 400 megapixel smartphone camera and I made it look like a Polaroid from the 70s. <laughs> I am going to get you specifically the login because I think that you might be able to contribute to that if there is, in fact, an Instagram account or an Instagram app for Windows Phone, Travatron. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I had a newer Windows Phone, I'm sure it would it'd be better, but I'm uh, stuck on 8.1. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> well, too, I'm due for a phone upgrade, but I just I don't want to pay 20 bucks a month to get a new phone. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. All right. Well, the next thing is this. Coming soon. The site is always open to guest-contributed content, uh, but not everybody likes to write. So I found some resources, and I plan on installing this. Uh, you'll be able to record by voice directly into your web browser. 
anything that is a how-to instructional or a personal story of yours via that's about motorcycling, um, it'll be through our website. You'll be able to record your voice directly. And or, optionally, you can submit one of your videos from YouTube, preferably. It can be one, the other, or both. We'll, we'll transcribe your audio into an article. And as for the video, whether they're tutorials, insights, or route rides, so long as you allow embedding in the video settings on YouTube, we'll consider writing content that supports the video. It's sort of win-win, especially if you monetize. But now, that's, that covers everything that's updated on the site. We're going to move on to the guest interview. This month's interview features Stephen Christina, a skilled craftsman whose degree in metal sculpture led to the successful and highly rated Arc Academy Welding School in Chicago. See? Good to see you. How you been? So you here? No, I drove. I parked oh. out front. Oh, yeah. Come on in. Yeah. Wow, this place is uh, gotten crowded. Well, uh, okay, so I'll start off real quick. Uh, what initially drew you to metal sculpture, and when did you realize it was your calling? I've always been hands-on. I've always... My dad was uh, what is now called a maker. He was a, a DIYer, handy guy. And we were also kind of lower middle class. So if there was anything that was broken that he had to pay for, he would absolutely attempt to fix it himself. He's got about an 85 percentile of fixing it himself. And then that 15 percent, you know, he'd actually have to hire out a professional. But it was usually for harder things. But I grew up, uh, my brother and I were, uh, were always helping him fix things. We always were down in his workbench making things. We were always creating things in 3D space. And uh, when I got to high school, they had gotten rid of all the welding, automotive workshops, anything uh, in the liberal arts, except for, you know, art in general, you know. Uh, they did stall it? They, yeah, they got, right before I got there, there was no more automotive. Uh, the automotive classes were only being offered to uh, juniors and seniors at the time, and then right when I became a sophomore, they eliminated the courses. And uh, the, You must have been they, looking forward to taking this. Yeah, you? I really was. I was, uh, that was one of the things that, um, we had wood shop in middle school, and wood shop was, I loved it, and I was trying to get more into the auto mechanics and welding and all that stuff. and in high school and then they got rid of the programs. We did have the opportunity to do like a vocational um, where, where, where we're bussed out to another school. And, uh, but you have, you'd have to go through all these prerequisites to get to what I wanted to do. And it didn't really work out, but uh, when I went to college, my second semester of my freshman year, somehow I was let into the metal sculpture program and I didn't have all the prerequisites for it. It was just an oversight uh, mm -hmm. on the administrative part of it. And I got to go into it and I, I man, the first month of the, cl the class, I had an oxycetylene torch and a quarter inch rusty steel plate and I started uh, cutting into that sucker. And you, you had done this before or was it your first I had exposure? not. This was, my fir this was my very first exposure to metal sculpture, metal welding, metal, and I was 19, you know, and I had done everything 
before that. I had a, a co- anything cold connection you could think of, like chemicals, gluing, staples, screws, nuts, bolts, pop rivets, you name it. I probably have done it. Even working on boats with fiberglass and all sorts of different cold or chemical connections. But I had never at that point welded. And then when I was in this sculpture class, it's like I cut into that steel and I knew right away. Fell in love with it. It was love <laughs> at first sight. Bam, I wanted to do it. I was like, okay, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I get this. And at that time, I was also had an emphasis in oil painting and photography, but I started gravitating more and more and more toward the sculpture and welding aspect as I went through the program. And I took so many of the metalworking classes. They said, you know what? You're just going to be independent at this point and you have to basically go to this one professor and he he grades you and so he he kept a look over your entire criteria yeah your curriculum was based on that yes how many projects i did in a semester how many i would have to help people in the shop and make sure people weren't killing themselves and all that fun stuff so i was a shop monitor and i was treated as though i was a bfa and I, I will say that I did not go and I didn't go into the BFA program. It's an interesting story because I went for my senior evaluation, my fourth year of college. Mm-hmm. I was I was a super senior. I, I did the five year plan. I just really enjoyed college. I just <laughs> I, I enjoyed going to all the classes, and I also worked all the way through school. I, I typically held three jobs. I I worked at. Uh, uh, two different bar restaurants, and then one just straight up bar. And I also worked in a custom photo lab with photo processing that did all the uh, local police, police force, and uh, just the municipality photography and uh, custom processing and public processing as well. I did a lot more of that actually. But so I worked three or four jobs all the way through college. So I couldn't take the amount of credits that needed to get you out of college in four years. Honestly, I didn't mind. I was having a great time. I really didn't have a path. Uh, I I didn't really know what the hell I wanted to do after college, but they they came up to me and they were like, yeah, um, you gotta go. I'm like, uh, and it was funny because they said you can graduate with a double minor but you're three credits shy from your double minor and you're three credits shy from your major. And then they started pushing me into the BFA program. And then I looked at all the requirements and the BA program itself. And I already, I had already taken all those classes. Like my degree was the equivalent of a BFA, but not ever saying or paying for a BFA. And when they asked me if I wanted to do it, I went, why would I pay another $6,000 to have the same exact education that I already gave myself. So anyway, I mean, so I did another year and I got my credits online and then I I graduated with a BA in fine art and then uh, I double minored in psychology and philosophy. But if you really want to know where I got my love for metalwork and sculpture and just Welding and metalwork in general, fabrication, it doesn't have to be sculptural. I, I love doing all metalwork. 
uh, really would be my freshman year of college. I just, I just loved it, and I took, to, and I just took right to it. Yeah, yeah, and so that's all I wanted to do. Fell into it. Yeah, I, that's all I really wanted to do. I just. Did this translate over to any bike builds? I mean, you ride. Do you still have the, the Kawasaki? What was it? it was a Z? ZR uh, ZR eleven hundred. Yeah. ZR eleven hundred, great uh-huh. bike. Oh, it's awesome bike. Do you do you still have it? Oh yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, did that translate to any builds? Have you done any work? Oh yeah, I mean, I know you've helped me out like a yeah, thousand I have, times. I well, I've done basic custom uh, chopping for race bikes. You know, lightening the load, doing cowls for people for every shape and size crotch rockets to cruisers to standards race bikes i made a mono tube a mono tubular aluminum frame kind of like uh it, it was based as the poor man's confederate hellcat <laughs> and it was it had a ducati 900 engine in it i did the entire frame and then that guy went to California, worked for Tesla because he was the engineer designer of it. And uh, he sent me images of the the bike actually running. And the only problem we had with it was the the engine that he chose to go in it and that he designed around it had this computer module that would not allow the bike to be run without all the exterior components. That's Ducati. Yeah, exactly. We don't talk about Ducati on our show. Yeah. And it, well, it was, we don't it know was how a to. huge pain in the ass. <laughs> Because I, I told him, I was, I was like, why don't you just find something that's really abundant mm-hmm. and really a standard mounting system and just yeah. work with that. And, and he just, he had the Ducati engine. He, he thought it would be an easy thing to do. And I'm like, <laughs> any, anytime you get computers involved, just don't, don't try because you're going to, you're going to be going through all sorts of wiring and wiring harnesses. You've seen what it's done to my social structure. Oh yeah, computers it's, will just, yeah. It just up. eats up. And, well, that's why I think that's why, like the Shivin guys. I think the Shivin guys really like working on vintage motorcycles, and uh, because they don't have all those computer ABS braking and all the crap that's going to take. What is it? Uh, engine control modulator or whatever <laughs> ECT or ECM or whatever it is. Yeah. If you have one of those, just like modern cars have. You got to talk to your computer to find out what the hell's wrong with your bike. I'm more of the fabricator and not so much a mechanic. Don't get me wrong. I do the uh, maintenance on my own motorcycle and I always fix my own bikes. But I, to tell you, do I do a very good job at uh, uh, carb, carb cleaning and uh, balancing and all that <laughs> fun stuff? Not really. I, I'm not the greatest at compression. I don't. I can't get my carbs balanced right. So typically, if I screw that up, I'll take it over to a friend or actually have a professional do it. I'll pull them out, but have somebody else do it and put it back in. I Just have seen this. For those of you listening, I have seen this guy work miracles. Though there was a time when I accidentally I didn't know any better, and I sheared my uh, my oil filter cover. And <laughs> All right. You yeah. welded aluminum. Yeah. In a way that if I right if I had the right O ring. It yeah. would have sealed. It, it wanted to hold oil in. Right. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that would have been fine. Yeah. Um, I got that pretty f- welded and got it pretty flat again. But, but it was worth a shot, you know. You're not doing a disservice by not chopping bikes or helping people out with that. You're teaching us. You know what? If you if you are going to be chopping your bike and you're going to do anything structural to the frame, your frame takes a lot of torsion. 
You know, you go into a turn and your your entire frame torques. You know, the the front tire pitches out and the rear tire pitches down, and it's it's pressuring the entire frame. Now, if you get into race bikes and crotch rockets and all the entire structure of the frame is engineered to brace that torsion and eliminate it as much as possible. What I'm getting at is if you're going to be doing that, uh, A, yeah, you should definitely learn MIG first. MIG welding first. It's the easiest, but it also gives you the foundation and understanding of everything else you're going to go into in the welding world. But you probably will want to get into TIG welding because TIG welding, it's going to be cleaner. It's going to be more controlled. You're going to be able to control the heat input going into the bike and the bike frame, and you're going to be able to just weld it properly. I'm not saying you can't make just a standard chop bike if you're, you know, making a hard tail or something like that. You know, you have a, a hard tail kit and you're just, all you're doing is basically you're sleeving in the kit and then you're welding around the sleeve. You can use a MIG for that. It's not a big deal. But when you start getting into what a lot of the, uh, uh, my friends are into, like Steve Jackson, Anders and all that, those guys, you know, they race old 19, 70s-ish bikes for Shivin, but at the same time, when they're chopping a bike, they have to reinforce it because of the torsion going through these bikes. They have to make it more rigid, more stable. You don't want the frame to fracture or crack. So uh, usually when that happens, they're going to come to me and I'm going to I'm going to really clean up the material, take weld it. Also going over those older 1970s bikes, 60s and 70s bikes. Yeah, you know, the welding on those, if you ever take a look at them, they're not that pretty. They don't <laughs> look that great. They're, they're not that great. So um, usually if I see something that I think is going to be kind of detrimental to their, their riding or their safety, I, I will typically say, hey, man, I'm going to go over this one well, kind of dig it out and just make it a little, it's make sure it's penetrated, make sure it's really fused together properly. So for the time, it was, it, looked, it was supposedly like, oh, that's the new... The 70s era, this is how we're doing it now. This is the new great. But then by today's standards, like, nope, no, 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 no. We'll, yeah. we'll take care of that. Yeah, well, and a lot of the, the newer bikes are, are welded, CNC welded, you know. So if they're doing mass production, you're, you're not going to have thousands of guys or girls, people, sitting there and TIG welding these things. They're probably going to be something, if they're aluminum frames, they're probably going to be something pulse controlled. And if they're steel frames, they're probably going to have some sort of TIG welding system where there will be a person manually feeding in the filler metal, but they're probably going to be on a weld positioner and the, the torch is actually going to be held still. And mm -hmm. then the weld positioner is going to do it, something like that. So they'll move the frame around the torch, not the torch around the frame? Sometimes. Um, I think it all depends on the motorcycle manufacturer. And what it is. There will always be positions that they cannot have a robot do. So a robot probably will make your aluminum oil tank on some of the crotch rockets and the beads will be manufactured, like press break all the material together and then the seams filled in. Mm. And those, those will be uh, CNC controlled. But maybe some of the tighter spots that need a professional touch, uh, human touch, are going to also be too well. I hope that never changes. 
I mean, that's just a I don't, I don't foresee it. I mean, let's face it. There's, <laughs> what, what's the, the company, Boston Dynamics or whatever? Those guys are getting in some crazy robotic stuff. That's right the now. wheel robot that you posted. Yeah. I totally yeah. happy that one. Well, they also have Atlas, who just walks around and picks up stuff. And, it's, it's, and that was years ago. I can't even imagine what's going on right now. And... The new dexterity, they're making robots that go under cabinets that have hands that can make your... Yeah, the size of a cabinet by themselves, they pop out. Yeah. yeah. So the one I'm thinking of is just two arms that are on a slide that go underneath your cabinet, and then you lay out all the con- contents, and you don't even have to tell them where the contents is, and it just starts making you whatever you program it for. This doesn't so. pertain, but they did the same thing with drum machines. It becomes a matter of it's not what you do, it's what you do with it or how you do it. Right. So what we might look at as damaging to an industry, if we play our cards just right, mm-hmm. then it can be put to use for the better and right. nobody gets hurt. It right. all becomes a better industry altogether. Uh, but I guess my next question would be, uh, what, are the, what, are, what is A or even the top three favorite challenges you've faced creatively in metal sculpture as an artist? The biggest challenge for most people like myself going into this, uh, and I've been out of college for 20 years now, but how much are you worth? How much do you get paid based on your experience, your talent, uh, and everything, your resources? Well, in in this case, you're actually, you're a little bit more fortunate because this is a vocation as well. I can only assume that those dedicated to what they've learned, not only return, but they become trained to do well at work. Have you run into any, with a gift for the artistic, sculptural side of the knowledge base that you provide, Do they have you seen a lot of them go on to become whole? Wow. Oh my God, yeah. I, I have a few dozen. I've been teaching here for a little over six and a half years. It's been Arc Academy for roughly two and a half years. That's when we actually labeled it and I separated the fabrication part of it from the teaching part of it. I kind of lost track after 4,000. I think I think we're around 5,000-ish students at this point in six years. Somewhere in that. Somewhere in that. I Does that be, give you any leeway towards like becoming uh, able to give an accreditation? Is it accredited? You know what? I don't, I don't really care to be accredited. I want people to feel like they have access to this. I want people to feel... But that's a though, great number. I mean, that's a big... That's it's a, a lot. solid yeah. number. It is, it is a lot. I mean, we did... I think we did over 1,200 last year alone. And wow. it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Out of all those, I've had a couple of dozen uh, people go in into uh, the welding industry or the welding field. They either you know, touch their toe in the water at Arc Academy and then they go on to uh, certification courses or they start studying under um, unions or something like that and then they get placed in jobs. I mean, I get emails. I haven't had one in a while, but uh, last year I had a few emails from people that say, hey man, you changed my life. I can't thank you enough. I'm I'm now making... 80 grand a year and I'm working up in Maine on, uh, on pipelines and stuff. And that's great. I mean, I, and, uh, I had another person that's a couple of people that were, are working in uh, wind energy business and they're, they're doing on-site repair and welding for the wind energy. And they're out in, uh, well, they're all over the place. Actually, they're, they, they move around, uh, most of them are in California, but yeah, and I also have people that, you know, they sign up to be members. They come in here and make 
they make stuff, they sell it in our consignment store. Uh, and See, I didn't even know about the membership, which makes me wonder, yeah. what are your big plans for this year? So we launched, we launched memberships um, about, about 10 months ago. Um, and memberships are two two fifty a month, but you can come in here from nine a.m. to nine p.m. You utilize the entire the entire place, uh, all the tools that you learn, all the welding equipment that you learn in in class is fair game, and you just you come in here and fabricate stuff. And I make I have people make everything: uh, motorcycle frames, furniture, sculpture, wall hangings, uh, a lot of coffee tables. Uh, <laughs> I have one. One of my students, he was uh, 13 when he first took my classes. Uh, he took MIG when he was 13. When he was 14, he took my TIG classes. And when he was 15, he asked me to do a, um, an, not an apprenticeship, but um, something for his school. It was kind of like an apprenticeship for a month. He went through a month of me training him and doing all this other stuff. And he ended up making a, oh man. I can't tell you what it's called. A spherical, it's a stainless steel sphere that isolates uh, the 111 isotope to create something that combats a, a disease within wow. one of his friends. That's out of control. It was amazing. Wow. I have pictures of it. It's on It's on Facebook. I mean, if you look it up, I think that was... That was 2015. Well, so that guy's he's on to something. What about? Oh, he's uh, a genius. I mean, for sure. Yeah, but, he's the real. So yeah. in my case, let's say I come in there, I, I get my membership, and I come in there, and I'm uh, still. I am definitely the type of person that needs repeat information. If you're on yeah. site, are you accessible as the teacher as well as the? Absolutely. Person? You know what? Uh, we always have a uh, a shop attendant in there that is knowledgeable of welding and fabrication that. I, I mean, I, I, I basically live here, so I, I typically am here to help people out. But, you know, Rich, Kara, Booker's here. Um, we have a staff that will help you out uh, to do whatever fabrication you're going to do. Yeah, a lot of people, automotive, motorcycle world, they'll bring in their frame and chop stuff off for racing purposes. I mean, I had a guy that was just in here, one of our, uh, one of our members, Mark, he actually made mounting brackets for his motorcycle and then he made luggage racks and the luggage carriers out of uh ammo boxes oh nice and he made these things out of ammo boxes and he's like yeah i'm gonna make these and i'm gonna tour and do this three thousand mile tour around the united states and he got back he's like all right i'm gonna become a member because they work great and he did a bunch of other stuff uh with his bike so he he comes in here and does little little things makes you know highway bars engine guards i mean a lot of the stuff that motorcycle oriented is small i had a guy last year uh bring in his uh oh man it was like an amf uh, <laughs> the AMF harley? yeah an amf harley that's another like thing 19, we don't talk about in 1986 <laughs> and he's and he said i just want to use the frame i'm going to get a created engine and i'm sitting there like all right whatever you want to do man and uh, no, he, he actually chopped the frame up, made his own hardtail kit to make a bobber, mm -hmm. and it, it turned out really nice. Um, and you know what? That reminds me, I don't think I ever posted those pictures of his bike. But for the most part, yeah, you can, you can come in and do whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, great. a lot of people just make furniture or they just practice. I have another student, Ken. 
He's uh, not a member, but he comes in and just pays for hourly open shop all the time. And he'll just come in to make sure he still has his chops down. That's probably, so yeah. So he'll, he'll, he'll do, like, three, anywhere from three to five hours a month. And he'll come in for an hour and just lay down some beads on, on a TIG welder, make sure he's stick welding okay. He just took our stick class, and then he came in for an open shop to practice. Which is fine. We have scrap metal here you can practice on. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I have a lot, of, a lot of people that go on to do a lot of cool things with uh, me- not just metal sculpture, but all things metal fabrication and welding. Yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. It's something that I think every dedicated motorcyclist should know how to do. And uh, not only are you providing a service to our little neck of the web, but you're also helping people find work. You're helping people... Perfect craft. I, I can't say enough about this. Arc Academy is a beautiful thing. I'm going to attend again. Thanks, man. I'm start it over again. Uh, for the ragged session, this has been my interview with Steve and Christina of Arc Academy. I'll give you the details on where you can find out more right after this. And thanks for being here. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. If you'd like to learn more about Steven and Arc Academy, you can do so at arcacademy.com where you'll find a class sign up schedule and paid video courses for online review. And now it's on to the listener questions this month. We have listener Abby. It's just one name. She's like she's like Madonna or or Tiffany. Or maybe it's like a cloister of monks. There you go. That collectively they live in an abbey and they have a question. Yes. Well, she's putting her 2012 Ducati Monster 796 up for sale. This is the 20th anniversary edition, and she's wondering the exact question is what price should I be asking if I want to sell it fast without getting ripped off? So I think we need to hit the old eBay for one. Yeah, well, I did, uh, I did a quick KBB motorcycle search. If you go to kbb.com slash motorcycles, you can look up the Kelly Blue Book value. Okay. Um, I mean, but th- that's also going to vary by zip code, so I don't know where Abby lives. She's, she's Cook County, Chicagoland. Yeah, Crook County. Here, because KBB just pulled my location off my IP address, is about seven and a quarter is what, uh, what they're listening for. It'll probably be worth more in Chicago a little bit. But yeah, you just look uh, look around. Yeah, check eBay, check Craigslist, check some of the the local dealer websites that might be dealing used in a similar model, and you can get a good idea of what the pricing is. Of course, if you want to sell it fast, you know a low price will move something quicker than a high price will. So um, you can also check with some uh, some resources, you know, forum resources enthusiast resources, someone who's into Ducati, someone who wants Ducati, someone who's a Ducanista, <laughs> uh, might be more interested in uh, a 20th anniversary, a special edition bike, um, and paying the premium for it to put it in their collection. The other part is that she plans on getting another bike. She's interested in something with a little bit more of a vintage look and feel. I don't know if she's going the Triumph route. No decision there. I actually made mention of the BMW Racer, the one with the, it's got the bullet fairing. Yeah, the R9T racer, yeah. What a great looking bike. And it's an R, which they've been, what, making that engine how long? 1906. More than 100 years. So I think the thought is that we would, uh, in the case of a bike like this, do I sell it or do I trade it in? And I'm coming to the conclusion that why not put it on Craigslist for like maybe two or three weeks? And if you don't get the kind of bites you want... And certainly don't let anybody test ride it unless they put cash in your hand and they have a legitimate M-Class motorcycle license. But if you don't get any bites that are 
up to your standards in terms of what you want to get for it, then there's no harm trading it in at any dealership with, that has the bike you want to buy. Though you might get significantly less for it. Yeah, that that's a trade-off. You always get less for the trade-in because the dealership needs to sell the bike and make money. So you might even be interested, you know, go to a dealership that has the bike you want, a place where you would trade it in if you had to, and see what they'd give you for it. And that'll give you a, that'll give you a, a, a bottom basement price, right? Because at the very least, you want to make more than what you'd get on a trade-in if you're going to sell it retail. Um, so you kind of know what the actual floor is, where it's like where you're, you're basically losing money at that point if you sell it for less than you'd get on a trade. Where did we go when we saw those two F800 GTs, that dealership? BMW, Cycleworks in Barrington. Cycleworks, Barrington. All right. That's a good outlet to at least connect with the bike she might be looking for, if not the uh, Triumph dealerships in Chicago. I know Johnny Chef. That's a different Cycleworks. Yeah. Cycleworks spelled correctly? Uh, one of them's with an E. I don't remember which one's which. But yeah, there's the one down on Southwestern Avenue. Uh, that's that's uh, Johnny. And then there's the one out in Barrington, which is part of a... And, and, and Johnny Chef is like the nicest guy in the world. And, and That's the MotoWorks on Southwestern. The, the place we went to was Barrington. the place in Barrington, which is not related to the cycle works that's in Chicago proper on Southwestern. And that's Johnny Chef. You never know. They might be related. Only that they sell European bikes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the guys down at cycle works though on, on uh, Southern Western, you know, they, they're pretty, they're pretty good. They're They're cool. They'll point you in the right direction. And if, if you're not looking for a trade, if you just can't take the hit on a trade, they might know a guy that's interested. There's nobody who I know socially who has ever forgotten who I am and walked by me so politely as one Mr. Johnny Chef. <laughs> he, is a, he, is a, he is a salesman. He knows what he's doing. He's a good guy. Yeah. Also meets a lot of people and does a lot of crazy stuff. Most definitely. So that covers that. If you'd like to ask us some of your listener questions, email your questions and concerns to podcast at tro.email. That's podcast at tro. Dot email, or you can call 224-358-3010 and leave us a voicemail. Also, if you're in the market for a 2012 Ducati Monster 796 20th Anniversary Edition, shoot us an email, give us a call, and we can hook you up with Abby. We have her contact information. Yeah, that bike's got to go. It's got to go, and it's got to go fast. It'll go fast no matter what. It's a fast bike. It's got to go fast. All right, that brings us to... This, this week's, week's Moto Mess brought to you Moto by the Super Slick Ultimate S Motorcycle Mega Pussy of incredible power. Um, I mean, uh, wait, that, uh, yeah, th- this, this week's Moto Mess brought to you by the Super Slick Ultra Badass Motorcycle Mega Pussy of incredible power. Okay, the Super Slick Ultra Badass Motorcycle Mega Pussy of incredible power is super slick, ultra badass, and as a side note, it's incredibly powerful. Little tip for you: if you're ice biking and your bike gets away from you and keeps going, and a buddy chases it on their bike. Hope they're smart enough to ride up along the right side of the bike, reaching for the cutoff switch with their left hand. Just food for thought. Yeah, have you seen the viral video of the <laughs> the autonomous bike that yeah. wouldn't fall down? Let's keep going round and round and round. Travis, you posted a slowed down high-speed picture of a cylinder operating with gla- a glass lid so you could see the combustion taking place. Yeah. And that was baddest baddest noise ever. Yeah, that was from uh, Destin at Smarter Every Day. And uh, well, actually, it wasn't... He, it's another guy who does motor stuff, but it was an old, uh, a vintage Briggs and Stratton motor uh, was, that was a flathead. If you're familiar with flatheads where the valve opens uh, up and down the same way the cylinder moves. So it's kind of the perfect candidate. Yeah, because you don't need anything overhead. 
you can see how the ex the power explosion propagates from the spark plug. It's it's pretty cool video. Well, you can uh, see all four cycles. Yeah, yeah, you can you can see it clearly, and they uh, they filmed it with uh, a high speed camera. So was, you can actually see you can see the spark fire, and you can see the the flame propagate down the cylinder, and then come out the exhaust. Yep. And then what about the Honda that won't fall over? I didn't actually check that out, but I think I'd seen something like it before. Yeah. So that was um, well, Honda's doing it slightly different. So I've seen non-tip over two-wheeled vehicles that were usually some sort of weird car thing built-in gyroscopics that had yeah a gyroscope in it that had to run so a, 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 a rotating counterweight that was nine degrees to the wheels but the the way the honda works it actually the head tube is mechanically controlled and so when you're going slow it makes the rake really long it makes the rake really low and the the trail really long wow um, so it, so it basically kind of drops, it scoops, pushes the front wheel out to make it more, um, more stable and then does like very slight, uh, left and right turning corrections. And, and then once you get up to speed, it pulls the front wheel back in, increases the rake and then it, and then it works gyroscopically like it would when it's moving. Yeah. That is wicked. The actual mechanics of that, it seems like it would take a lot of power to make it happen. So just to add that to the bike, I wonder if it's heavy. Uh, probably not too much. I mean, uh, uh you know, electric motors are pretty efficient. So a stepper motor, simple too. One moving part. Yeah, it's really the um, it's really the the brain that's the hard part. <laughs> right. So it has isn't it always? Yeah, I mean it has like you know velocity sensors, so it can tell which way it's pitching and then correct for it. Sure. But then yeah, it's really just the the software and the brain that that corrects it. So the other weird thing that's about that is it's basically steer by wire until you start really moving. Uh, <laughs> nice. Which is weird for a motorcycle to be like steer by wire. Yeah. Try hacking that with Wi-Fi. Well, all right. On to Chicago is, Chicago's getting antsy up here to ride. Vintage bikes are popping up on the streets at 11 degree temps. That was towards the beginning of this month. We've had some warmer temps as of recent, which has been great. But I remember when I was that crazy, go out and like, I, I was new to motorcycling. I'm going to do it anyhow. 20 degrees, 15 degrees. Another note Dear KTM dealership at the IMS Chicago show, it's sport touring. It's been around for some time. I would expect a dealership to know this. Sport touring. That's where the term ST bikes came along, not sports tourers. So make sure you do your research. Sport touring, not sports touring. Yeah, sports sports touring sounds like sports ball. It's it's not. Sporting. We're sporting. We're going to go sport some sports ball at the sporting match. And then uh, there was an iconic motorcycle poster. If you guys look this up on Google, just a poster of iconic motorbikes from movies, I'm going to have to get that from my garage. And on that note, it's time to go, but we're always looking for sponsors for this podcast. Sponsors are given three focused mentions toward the start, middle, and end of their designated episode. Their contributions are put towards bettering the program's content and recording equipment. And that's our episode for this month. Tune in next time when our wives... We're also avid riders, interview one another regarding female-specific rider topics, along with things specific to sport touring or universal motorcycling in general. That's going to be when you and I got to get out of the room. We're going to have to run for our lives. We'll just have to set them up and then, yeah, let them go, and then hope they don't talk about us too much. Nice. And quick shout-out to He and Tran. Just look up Voto Cycling, that's V-O-T-O Cycling on YouTube, and subscribe to her channel. We hope to get together with her sometime down the line where opportunity allows. For the Riding Obsession, I'm Robin Dean. And I'm Travis Burleson. Safe travels, everyone. That's our episode for this round. Tune in next time for more discussion on all things specific to sport touring or universal to motorcycling as a whole. For the theridingobsession.com, I'm Robin Dean. I'm Travis Burleson. 
Safe travels, everyone.